Well, good morning, Branch Church. Good morning, Branch Church family online. It's a blessing to be with you all this morning as we get to continue our worship through the hearing and the receiving of the Word of God, and by His grace, the doing of it as we leave here. Now, men are not the sharpest tools in the shed, always. I'm not sure why we're laughing. It's like, particularly when it comes to women. So there's a gentleman, he tells a story where a girl gave him a mix CD. You remember those old CDs where you burn, you throw a bunch of songs on it? Well, <laughs> it was comprised of mostly love songs. And so he got his friends together and they listened to the whole CD and he was trying to decide if there was a hidden message in the CD. And so after listening to the whole thing, they came up with a solid maybe. He said there were six of them trying to discern that. Now, I don't know about you, but a girl gives you a love CD. I think that's kind of clear in itself, right? I know another story of a gentleman. He was a junior in high school, and a girl came up to him at the end of the school year and gave him a Slurpee. And he's like, thanks, all right. Starts drinking it, gets in the truck with his friend, and his friend's looking at him like, hello. He's like, what? Hello? He's like, what? He's like, look at the Slurpee. He looks at it. I don't see anything. He's like, turn it around. So he turns it around, and there's a note. It says this, will you go to prom with me? Totally missed it. He just starts enjoying the Slurpee. Well, see you later. <laughs> Men are not always the ones that this happens to. It can happen to women. And actually, in fact, it can happen to both men and women in large groups of people at the same time. And that's actually what happened in John chapter 6. We have this huge crowd that is following Jesus, coming to him. We want more. We saw the miracle of taking a few loaves and feeding over probably 10,000 people. We want more. They're coming to Jesus like he's this pantry that can just keep feeding them. The problem is they missed what it was pointing to. It was pointing to something so much greater than just the bread itself. You see, this miracle, it didn't just show what Jesus could do. It showed who he was, and they're missing who he is, and that is even more significant than just the miracle itself. And so Jesus is going to now speak to the crowd at a synagogue in Capernaum, and he's going to set the record straight. I'm not a baker that has come to fill your bellies with bread. I am God's life-giving bread. And as we will learn, who eternally satisfies, saves you from your sins, and he will never send away those who come to him. If you have your Bibles, turn with me, please, to John chapter 6, beginning in verse 22. John 6, beginning in verse 22. So it says this, on the, other, or on the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. So at the end of the miracle of feeding the 5,000, Jesus sends the disciples away in the one boat that was there, dismisses the crowd. He goes off into a solitary place. They don't know where he is. We know there was one boat. He didn't get in it. We're not sure what happened to him. It says, other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So now boats come from the other side of the lake and show up. Here's what they're going to do. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and they went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill 
of the loaves. So they find Jesus and they ask him a question. The question is actually kind of twofold. It both means when did you get here and how did you get here? Now, for you French-speaking students, it's kind of similar to if someone were to say, depuis quoi? It looks like depuis quoi? I had to ask someone else. Depuis quoi? It can both mean how and when. So Jesus totally could have answered this. Well, this is how I got here. I walked across the lake in the middle of the night. The storm came over, the squall, the waves were going nuts. I still walked in the middle of the boat, about three, four miles. I got into the boat and boom, I brought the boat to the shore. He doesn't tell them any of that. That surely would have been impressive. But there's a deeper problem here and Jesus goes to the deeper problem. It's their motivations for coming to him. Why are they coming to him? Because you had the bread you ate your fill and you want me to do more of that. There's a deeper thing here that they should be seeing. And verse 27 becomes a very key verse for us this morning. Jesus says this, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the son of man will give to you for on him, God, the father has set his seal. Jesus gives two commands. The first one, do not work for food that perishes. In other words, don't spend your energy and all your efforts to try to get something that is going to spoil and it's not gonna last. Don't spend all your efforts to get something that is only temporary because you actually have a deeper need, an eternal need. In fact, here's what he says, work. He commands them work for food that will be eternal life. And then he explains a little more about this food, which is eternal life. He says that the son of man will give to you. So this food he's talking about, so far we learn, is something the Son of Man gives. Now this title, Son of Man, it's a phrase that Jesus loved to use. In fact, it is the number one phrase he uses to reference himself more than any other. More than King, more than Christ, more than Son of God, he calls himself the Son of Man. Likely because Son of Man doesn't carry the type of baggage that Messiah does. He comes out and says, I'm Messiah. Everybody's gonna rush in and they're either gonna wanna fight with him or they're gonna wanna make him king. But son of man gives this kind of blank area where he's able to fill in multiple truths about who he is so they can fully get it before they kind of get too aggressive with him. So the son of man, he's human. The son of man also connects with Daniel. Daniel chapter seven, that heavenly figure who will be king. So he's human. He's also king. We see Isaiah 53, the suffering servant. So he's able to start packing in all these truths about him throughout the gospel narrative. The son of man, he also says this, God the father has placed his approval on him. Where has God put his meaningful eternal truth that people should notice and take believe of? He has placed it on the son of man. Now they don't know exactly who the son of man is just yet, but this is what Jesus has told them so far. Now watch their response. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So of everything Jesus said, they get stuck on works. You said works. Okay, what works do I need to do to get this eternal life, this eternal food thing that you're talking about? And Jesus tells them what he means by works. And what does he say? This is the work of God that you do what? You believe on the one whom you have sent. Salvation is not something that humans can achieve. It is not something you can earn where God has to go, well, I guess you got it. You got to level 10. Here you go. That's not how it works. 
Salvation is a gift bestowed by the grace of God in Jesus Christ alone, period. That's it. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, Paul, writing to the Romans, he says this, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not embarrassed. I am publicly not ashamed. I am publicly proud. Let's talk about it. But he tells us why. And the reason here is so amazing. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. What is power? It is ability to get something done. Paul is not ashamed because salvation is the ability of God to save, not the ability of man. Paul talks later in the gospel. He says in Romans 3.28, he says, for we maintain, we hold, we keep and stand on this truth. What is the truth? That we are justified by faith. What does it mean to be justified? It is to be legally declared righteous. God, in a sense, hits his gavel, your sins forgiven, righteousness given to you by faith. What is faith? It's trust, excuse me, it is trusting God alone apart from the works of the law. So when Jesus speaks of works here, it is not something we earn. It is a picture here of trusting in Jesus. Verse 30, here, here's their response. So they said to him, okay, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? You know, our fathers, they ate manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Okay, well, you know, God did some great, or Moses did some great things in, in the wilderness. 40 years, God fed the people and did all this stuff. What are you gonna do? What can you show us? Which is funny because he's just shown them something with the feeding of the five, 10,000 people. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread. Let's just clear that up first of all. It wasn't Moses. But my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Did you see the progression? It started with the son of man who gives the bread, and now it's the son of man who is the bread. And not only is he the bread, he gives the life to the world, not just the Jewish people. This is something global that's going on. Then they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Yes, we would like the lifetime supply of bread. Please tell me where to sign. Do I get a ticket? Do I get a ticket and stand in line? What do I need to do? This is very similar to the woman at the well. Yeah, I'll take that water. I don't really want to come back to the well. It's a lot of work. And Jesus explains the, the waters of living white, which is the Holy Spirit. And here it's so much more than something literal like bread. They're missing the point. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He now takes the dots and he connects them. The son of man who gives the bread, the son of man who is the bread is actually Jesus Christ himself. And he tells them very clearly, I am the bread. And what does it mean that he's the bread, that he's God's life-giving bread? He says this, whoever comes to him will not hunger, will not thirst. Is this a literal hunger and a literal thirst? I don't think so. This is something much deeper. This is the deepest longings of the heart. That is the hunger and thirst we have for God. Every single person, male, female, every age, from children all the way up to senior citizens, we all have the same deep longing, and it is to know our maker. And there's only one person who can satisfy that. It is our actual maker himself. 
So Jesus tells us what it means that he is the life-giving bread of God. He eternally satisfies the depths of your soul. There's some great things in this world that satisfy. Marriage, a wonderful thing. Children, a wonderful thing. Intimacy, a wonderful thing. Having a legacy, a good job, wonderful things. But they do not deeply satisfy on the inside of your inmost being. If they did, a lot of people in the world would be pretty happy. But we see they have these things and they can still be what? They can still be miserable because there's something deeper. And Jesus declares to them, that's me. I am the one who satisfies that. You will find it nowhere else. Verse 36, he says, but I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. He says, all that the father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my father, that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus says a lot there. Simply, he tells us about the work and the will of the father in regard to salvation. What is the work of the father? He gives people to Jesus. The father gives people to the son. And his will is that when he gives them to the son, the son would receive them, keep them, and raise them up on the last day. In other words, he would not lose them. And Jesus makes very clear that he does the will of the father. He will receive what the father gives. He will keep it. And he says, I will not send them away. This is the fun part about Greek studies. Are you ready? There's a double negative. He says, I will know not. You ever talk like that? I will know not again, not be on time. Shakespeare, right? I will know not. In other words, I will absolutely not drive away those who come to me. God works to bring those people, his people to Jesus. And Jesus carries out that will and saves them. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread of life that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. They're grumbling. They're having a problem. It's not so much that he's the bread of life that bothers them. It's that he's the bread of life from heaven. Oh, you're from heaven. Divine origin thing going on over here. Well, I don't know about that because we know your mom. We know your dad. We saw your first day of kindergarten. We saw when your teeth came in and, and, and you learned how to, no, no, there's no way, right? There's no way that you're from heaven. And so they're having a problem. And Jesus says, don't grumble. You can't come to me unless the father draws you salvation is completely a work of God. He has decided to save, and he is the one who actually draws us to Jesus so Jesus may actually save us. There is no room whatsoever for us to brag or boast before God. Look what I did. Aren't you impressed by me? Jesus makes it very clear. You can't come to me unless the Father draws you. So for you here who say, I believe in Jesus, there is praise that should be coming from our hearts and lips. The Father drew you. The Father showed you. Do you remember in Matthew 16, Jesus says to the disciples, well, what about you? Who do you say that I am? Peter steps up. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. 
Matthew 16 and 17, do you know what Jesus said to him after that? Blessed are you, flesh and blood did not tell you that. My father revealed that to you. How did Peter come to know that? Because God taught it to him. God blessed him. And as we leave here, don't forget that. God was gracious to open your eyes, to bring you here, to tell you about his son. Verse 45, Jesus says, it is written in the prophets. He's going back to Isaiah. I think it's 43, 15, 45, 13. I apologize, I don't remember. It's written in the prophets, Isaiah, and they will all be taught by God. Isaiah is looking forward to a day, it seems, when Jerusalem will be regathered and God's knowledge will spread. God will spread the knowledge of himself in Jerusalem. Jesus takes that truth and he's now going to show how it's a type of what he is doing now. So it's not a direct fulfillment necessarily. It's a type of what God is doing. All will be taught by God here in the same way all will be taught by God here. And where is God teaching people through? Through Jesus. Remember, one of the biggest things of John is what? Jesus is the son of God revealing the father and saving his people. John chapter 118, no one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only who's at the father's side has done what? He has made him known. Jesus says it is written in the prophets and they all will be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me. What is he basically telling them? You have not heard, you have not learned from the father. That's why you don't come to me. That would be hard to hear. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God, he has seen the Father. Now, they've learned from God, Jesus says, but not like God stood right here in a seat and taught you. No, no one's ever seen God, but God, me, the Son has come down and shown you. Verse 47, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life, and he declares once again, I am the bread of life. Jesus makes very clear in a synagogue in Capernaum that he is God's life giving bread. And the context tells us exactly what he means by that. What does it mean that he's God's life giving bread? It means this, he eternally satisfies the hunger and thirst that you have for God. It means that he saves us from our sins and gives us eternal life. It means he will never send away those who come to him, those the father draws. He will never spoil. He is a bread that will satisfy forever. Jesus is everything we need today, yesterday, and tomorrow and all eternity. You've heard the phrase, all roads lead to God. True or false? Well, it's a little bit tricky. You ready for this? Depends on what you mean by it. Because in a sense, all roads do lead to God. Whether you are a Buddhist, a Muslim, a Christian scientist, an agnostic, an atheist, you will, whatever path you're on, come to God. And you will stand before God but only one road leads to peace and salvation. And that's the road, the narrow road through faith in who? Jesus Christ. All roads will lead to God, but only one road leads to peace and salvation. And that is a narrow road. And we will see through this passage how narrow it really is based on the response of the people. Verse 49. Jesus has done this bread of life discourse here, and it's not over. There's more to it. Now he's going to bring in a striking yet very personal metaphor. He is not going to relent or take his foot off the gas. He's going to press hard into it. And you might wonder why. I think it's to reveal the hearts of the people at hand. Verse 49. He says, your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. 
This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. He says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Okay, the metaphor is pressing more into it. We started with the son of man who gives the bread, the son of man who is the bread. Jesus is the son of man who is the bread. And now the bread is actually described as his what? His body, his flesh. What is it a picture of? His death on the cross. They don't get it just yet, but this is where Jesus is going in the conversation. And again, he reiterates, it's the life for the world, not just the Jewish people. The Jews then disputed among themselves saying, how how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man, and he adds this now, and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. This would be shocking and repulsive to the group of people he's talking to. Why is that? Well, in Leviticus 17, verses 10 through 14, God tells his people not to drink blood. You're not to eat meat with its lifeblood still in it. And I'm pretty sure God's not down with cannibalism either. So all of this is like, what are you talking about? You're off your rocker. Now, is Jesus, how are we to understand this here, what he's saying? Is it literal? Are we literally to eat the flesh of Jesus and drink his blood? And if so, how does that happen? Does he, he's at the right hand of the Father. Does he show up, we eat him, and then he goes back? Like, how does that actually work? Is it in the Eucharist that the Catholic faith teaches, where the priest transforms the elements into his actual body and blood, an ongoing continual sacrifice that they talk about called transubstantiation. Oh, and the, the, the verbs here, the words, participles, they're ongoing. So you got to keep eating and keep drinking. So if I stop doing it, does that mean I'm not saved anymore? You see, see how many questions that can happen here? Well, we need some kind of interpretive key to kind of help us, and then we'll walk through this. So we want to take the words of Scripture at literal face value, unless there is some kind of contextual and our theological reason not to. For example, in the Psalms, at least five or six times, it talks about coming under the shadow of God's wings. Now, if you literally just read that and only that, what might you think? Yeah, as one author said, God's a big cosmic chicken. (laughs) Is God a chicken? Absolutely not. Yeah, good, theolo- good theology going over here. She said, God is not a chicken. He's not. He's not. Yeah, it's a picture of care and protection. Exactly. And we get that. We get that. But we know that because of the context of all of Scripture and theology that God is not a ch- He's a spirit. He doesn't have flesh and blood like you and I have. It's different. So now when we get to these verses, we have to look at immediate context and then the book context. So immediate context. If you go 14 verses earlier, go with me to chapter 6, verse 40. Jesus says this before he says flesh and blood, eating and drinking. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus gives one thing there. What is it? To to have life. Faith, it's to believe. 
earlier, he said, what is the work of God? To believe on the one he has sent. No other qualifiers, nothing else. It is faith. And so now when he gets to eating and drinking, this is a metaphor for faith. That's it. To eat and to drink is to have faith. That's what it means. Well, are you really sure, Sean? Yeah. Go to the very beginning of the gospel, chapter 1, verse 12. His own, he came to his own, yet they did not receive him. But to those who did receive him, he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believed in his name. Go to the end of the book, John chapter 20, verse 31. Why was the book written? That you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and by believing you would have life in his name. You go outside of John now. Paul, what does he think? We maintain someone is justified by faith. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. You're saved by grace through faith. Titus, you are saved not because of works you have done, Titus chapter three, verses five and six, but because of his mercy, you have been saved. To eat and to drink is a striking metaphor for faith, personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, in his death and in his sacrifice. Are you having fun yet? Yes. My flesh is true food and my blood is true drink true and an archetypal, spiritual, ultimately satisfying your hunger and your thirst type of sense. But it's not literal. We don't literally eat it. And in the Eucharist, Jesus, it doesn't change into who he is. There's been one sacrifice offered, Hebrews tells us, and Jesus is now exalted to the right hand of the Father where he sits in victory. And we're only waiting for his return now. Verse 56 Whoever drink, feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. And when you eat and drink, that is when you believe, you abide. You're in a relationship with Jesus. Why is it so important to be in a relationship with Jesus? Because of verse 57. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he will also live because of me. Because to be in Jesus is to be also in relationship with the Father and you have God's life. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died, which whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. So we've had the bread of life discourse. We've jumped into this very striking yet personal metaphor. Now we get to watch the response of people. What are they gonna do with this? Will they believe? Will they stay? Or will they go? When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying, who can listen to it? Now we have to put disciples in air quotes. Many of his disciples, disciples here is not born again Christians. These are followers. And the followers had different levels of understanding of his authority and his person. And these disciples heard it. And what did they say? This is hard. In other words, this is harsh and this is offensive. And then they literally say this, who is able to listen to it? Who can put up with this? Who's able to listen to this teaching? And so I'm gonna get ahead of the game here, but this is fascinating. They come to him because of his miraculous powers, but in six verses, they're gonna leave him because of his teaching. They were brought in because of the miracles and they wanted more bread, but they're gonna leave because of his teaching. And what does Jesus do? Oh, please stay. I'm so sorry that offended you. No, he didn't. Jesus pressed into it. And he said, this is the truth to really reveal where their hearts were at. The butterfly can hear. Soft teaching. Let us be careful not to soften the teaching of Jesus. 
Soft teaching does not create softer hearts. Soft teaching creates softer disciples who will up and leave when they don't like it or when it gets too hard. You don't really like what Jesus says there. I'm going to go somewhere else. Softer teaching does not make stronger disciples. We learn we have to teach the word and we need to teach what it truly says. And what do we learn about Jesus? He's Lord. He's master. Our culture may not like that language of Lord and slave, but that's what he uses and we got to stick to it. And as master, he rules over everything. You see the, the gospel, it's a radical call, not just for you to come and find life, for God to give you life, but it's also a radical call to surrender the whole of your life to the one who is in charge of everything. So how about it? Is Jesus your Lord or is he your buddy? Is Jesus your savior or is he a genie you call upon to make the health and wealth of your life just a little bit better when you need it? Jesus is not a fling you get to have on the side. He's someone you bow your knee before as the king of the universe and receive his gift of life, or you don't. Well, how do I know if Jesus is my Lord? Because you have bowed your knee in faith to his saving act of grace, trusting him alone to save you from your sins. If I were to bring this chair up here and say out of all these chairs, I'm gonna put my faith in this chair alone and I sit down and I pick up my legs, what would happen if you kicked the chair out from under me? I would fall because I'm putting my full trust in this chair to hold me up. In a similar way, you are taking your faith and you are putting your full trust in Jesus to hold you up and to carry you from this life unto the next life, from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, so that if Jesus were to let go of you, you would fall, although he doesn't let go. Praise the Lord for that. This is not faith. This is not faith. This is not faith. Faith is putting your full weight and trust in the one who can hold you up and save you and carry you to the next life. Amen? Amen. Is Jesus your Lord? You will know because you will filter your whole life through his grace and his commandments. I want to live for you. Now, that doesn't mean you're perfect. We're not. You're going to fail. But your heart is to say everything and all things for you, through you, and by you. Do you know that's why you were made? Do you know you have a purpose? All things were created. Paul tells us in Colossians 1.16, everything was created by him and for him. You were created for Jesus. That's amazing. God loves you enough to make you and to save you and to bring you to himself. And we rejoice in that today and for all of eternity. Now I got really ahead of the game, but back here at verse 61. But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, he said to them, do you take offense at this? All right, then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? The idea seems to be this. If eating and drinking offend you, wait till you see the crucified Messiah. If eating and drinking offend you, wait till you see the king being killed by the unclean Gentile Roman and hanging up on a humiliating cross. Wait till you see that. And that does become an offensive stumbling block to Jews that we see in scripture. He says, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you. No one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. 
After this, many of his disciples turned back and they no longer walked with him. And this is so sad. They came for his miracles and they left because of his teaching. Jesus doesn't chase after, oh, please, 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 let me make it softer so that you'll, no, this is the truth. And you accept it or you don't. And it's the same thing for us. We tell people the truth. He calls you to bow your knee before him as Lord and that's it. And that's what he calls you to do, to surrender to him. And I'm not gonna change that. And we can't change that as we tell the culture that. So Jesus said to the 12, do you wanna go away as well? What about you guys? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. I don't know the reason that you may have come to church or have come to Jesus or have come, but whatever it is, we're glad you're here. And you need to believe in the teaching that comes from him because in his words are life, they are spirit, and they are truth. We don't need just miracles. Those are great and, and those are awesome and God has given us, but we need to believe in his teaching. And if you don't believe in his teaching, I'll ask you this, where else are you gonna go? Where else are you gonna go? Who else is gonna tell you how the world really works? Who else is gonna tell you who God really is? Who else is gonna forgive your sins, give you the, the rest and peace that you need to live this life? Who's gonna let you know and help you to understand who you truly are? I tell you what, no one else is gonna be able to do that. And here's the biggest climactic kicker because everyone else has died and they've stayed dead. But Jesus Christ died and he rose from the dead to validate everything he has said. So when you're looking for truth, when you're looking for teaching, look no further, look nowhere else than the teaching of who? Our Lord Jesus Christ, even if it's harsh, even if you don't like it, it's not harsh. It's just something we might feel. And we learn to say, Lord, I don't understand all your truths. I don't understand how X and Y and Z and triangle and purple and yellow work together. But you know what? I believe and I trust. And by believing and trusting, I think we find even more instruction from him. Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the 12, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the, Simon of, he spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the 12, was going to betray him. What a sad picture. We have this crowd who saw the miracle of Jesus feeding the 5,000 and they've shown up. We want more bread. Sign aside for the lifetime supply of bread. You gotta eat my flesh and drink my blood. Well, we don't want that. They really didn't wanna believe. And they showed themselves not listening to him, not listening to the father, but the father will still draw his people. He will still save them and Jesus will keep them and he will never send them away. We have seen him and blessed today that Jesus is God's life-giving bread. And when you believe in him, you are eternally satisfied at the core of your soul. You can rest. And when you believe in him, you are saved from your sins. Stop bringing them up. Talking to myself, stop bringing them up. No condemnation in Christ. And when you believe in him, he will never send you away. He does not leave or forsake his children. Amen? Amen. Amen. The sermon ends there. Why did I say it that way? Because we're going to have a testimony, but I'm going to share it. I want to share with you my testimony. And I, I normally wouldn't want to do this because I want other people, but the reason I'm going to share mine is because it highlights something that Jesus taught in the passage, that the Father, you cannot come to Jesus unless the Father draws you. And that is my story. So I grew up in an arena of sports, and sports was going to be my ticket. Football, soccer, baseball, I was blessed to have a measure of success, measure of awards and accolades, and I had the opportunity to walk on, a recruiter walk on and play football at San Diego State in 2004. You can't tell, but I was a kicker and I was a punter 
by the position I played. That's supposed to be a joke. <laughs> guys are much bigger. Anyway. <laughs> the third game of the season, uh, we went and played at UCLA. That was my dream school. That's where I wanted to go. Well, the guy in front of me, he was a year older than me, wasn't doing so hot, got a snap, fumbled it, got taken out. He was out of the game. I got my shot. So I got to go on at UCLA, got the ball, swung back, punted like about a 49-yard punt. It was a good punt, high. The guy didn't return it. The guy who, who caught it, his name was Maurice Jones-Drew. He ended up going to play for the Jacksonville Jaguars, so it's my little claim to fame. <laughs> didn't, didn't return my punt and mow me over because that would have been embarrassing. And so the next week, we went to Wyoming, University of Wyoming. And the other kicker didn't travel. I did. It was my shot. It was my turn. Everything was happening just as I had planned. It's going to be good. I'll be in the pros in no time, right? In the third quarter of that game, I got the snap. I swung, and I shanked the punt. Shake means to hit off the side of your foot, and it went about 10 yards. You could spit further than that. I've never shanked a ball like that. Never done that bad, even in like peewee. Oh, man, so terrible. Run off the field. Don't cry. Don't cry. Because I know what happens. Cameras, they zoom right in your face to get some emotion. It wasn't a national game. It was like regional, 1 o'clock, middle of the day. And coach comes over, and you're like afraid he's going to beat you up or something. He puts his arm around, and he you know, does the nice coaching, consoling thing. And okay, he's not mad at me. So go back into the game on the next drive, and got to punt again. And so I get the ball, hype, and I do it again goes straight up, bounces, rolls back to me. I touch it down, I run off the field, and it's like, don't cry, don't cry. And the best way I can describe it is this. You build this building that is your life, and then in one swoop, it comes and a wrecking ball just takes it all down, and you wonder, who am I now? What foundation have I really built this upon? And it was broken. I remember sitting in the corner of the locker room, kind of all by myself, this little freshman, 18-year-old kid, poor me, and just like sad and scared and afraid to go on the field. I'm afraid to play and afraid to try. Even years later, I'm like afraid to throw a football with kids because it was just that, it was that earth shaking to me. You know what's really funny is that that game, right before that game that day, you go out and you do your warm-ups, and I wasn't doing good. And I remember saying this. I said, God, I want to do this for you. That's it. I had no idea why I said that. I have no idea where that came from. Didn't pray before. I didn't know the name of God, the name of Jesus. And it was like God heard it. Or rather, like God enabled me to say it. I don't know. It's pretty amazing. That was one of the longest walks back to the locker room, literally and metaphorically, of what I was experiencing. Never thought I'd get beat up in my life, but this was pretty close to the time where I thought, man, these guys, they're all bigger than me. Like, this could be the time where they're not very happy. It was through that time in that semester where God started to draw me to go to church. No one asked me. No one invited me. No one told me. I just wanted to go. Why? because the Father was drawing me to Jesus. And I started going to the Rock Church. They were at San Diego State at that time, 2004. And I started going, 8 a.m. service, 8 a.m. service. Who goes to 8 a.m. service by themselves at 18 years old? That's when I wanted to go. I'd spend the night at a friend's house. I'd get up, I'm going to church. I don't even know why. I'm pretty sure I met up with some, some fr a friend from high school and her family uh, for a little bit, but I just remember going. And it was through that time where God was drawing me and my heart was becoming very warm and sensitive. My ears were being opened. I would go to chapels and, and I was hearing things. I'd go to church and I was hearing, it was amazing. I had been to church a whole bunch of times, Shadow Mountain. I had been in church at Skyline, South Coast Community Church before they became New Break. And I can never once tell you that I heard God or the name of Jesus said. Someone had to have said it. 
I never once remember anybody saying it. But God's grace and God's timing at 18 and a half years old, he drew me. And that very next semester, I was baptized January 28th, 2005. And God has been gracious to me ever since to hold me and to keep me. And look what he's done with this little athlete, hated reading person type life. And it's just amazing, right? Glory to God indeed. And so I want to tell it to you because of this reason. The Father draws us and without his grace cannot be saved. We praise the Father for this, and then we pray for our loved ones, and that's what I want to do together. Pray for our lost loved ones, that God the Father would draw them, open their eyes, and save them. Every single one, people that you know and love, especially the ones you know and love, especially our children. I mean, if you want to pray for me, that's my one prayer request. Pray my kids would be saved. That's it. Everything else is, I don't know if I want to say whatever, but it's really important to me. Anyway, let's join in prayer, and Take a moment, and I want you to pray for your loved ones. Father, we praise you for your incredible mercy, for how you've drawn all of us, and you've saved us and, and loved us and shown us Jesus. And we ask, Father, for the grace that you would show our loved ones that we're, we're thinking of now and, and that we'll think of later today and this week. Lord, save our children, save our neighbors, save our our, our fathers and our mothers, our sisters and our brothers, our uncles, our grandmas, our grandpas, our aunts. Save our cousins, Lord. Save them, we pray. Bless us, Jesus, to be the light and the salt of this earth. Thank you, Lord, that you are the bread of life. Lord, we feed upon you, and we trust you alone for life. Please have your way with us this week. And please, Lord, would you hold us fast. Give us the grace of perseverance through the bad thoughts we think, the hard days that we have, and give us a deep love to get outside of ourselves and to care and notice other people like never before. And it's in your name we pray, King, Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.